turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Luke 1, 39, and also uh, put a finger in Genesis uh, chapter 1. Tonight, Lord willing, I want to give a pointed message, a specific message, and it's for God to take you out of a death culture into a life culture. In society, we live in a death culture, and we're going to talk about that for a little bit. But God is the author of life, and he has brought us into a life culture. So let's live there. Let's live there. And as I was praying about tonight, I think that there are some of us, if not all of us, where there's an aspect of our lives as believers that we've adopted a death mentality. So we're praying that God would do a work tonight. As we study the word together, that he would reveal to us where we're in a death culture and move us from a death culture to a life culture. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're the author of life, that you in and of yourself are life, and that you give life to us. You've brought us out of darkness into the light. But sometimes as believers, the world has a way of impacting us and influencing us and we can get overcome with darkness and death. And so we, we ask that you would just do a breakthrough in our lives, that we would see that life matters. We would see that it's a gift from you, that we would value the life that you've given to us, that we would value the life of those around us. Jesus, we know that you're greater than the enemy. You're greater than Satan. And would you bind Satan? Would you... Put your truth into his lies. And would you set us free tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Where do we see this death culture in our midst? If you saw the news Monday night, there's a shooting in Black Forest, gated community, six-acre lots, huge custom homes, one of the nicer areas in El, El Paso County, and there's two adults that are dead in the home it's a little hard to know exactly what took place there, but it seems to be pointing to a murder-suicide where the husband killed his wife and then killed himself. And you're going, this is a death culture. I mean, what is going on in their home, in their marriage to bring them to this point to murder and suicide if indeed that's what took place? But there's two dead. The authorities are, are trying to uncover this. I read this article uh, this week from Mont Vista. Anybody know where Mont Vista is? All two of you, right? It's a really small town east of Alamosa, but it's also a dark town in the San Luis Valley. And a girl, teenage girl, was shot and killed while making a TikTok video. And when you read the article, she was making a TikTok video in the bedroom. There was three others that were there and they decided to start playing with a gun. And the next thing you know, she's dead and the authorities are trying to come to the end of this. It seems like it may have been an accident, but the article examined some of their TikTok accounts and they, they've got prior videos of playing with a gun in their videos. That, that's a death culture. Like what, what's fun about getting out a gun and shooting a video? Like, what, what kind of video are you shooting with that? It's, it's ultimately a, a death culture. I could go on and on about this 
That's just two things this week from Colorado. But I want us to examine this a little bit in the scripture, and I am going somewhere with this, so stay with me. But you do see a death culture in the scripture, and then Jesus came as the light of the world and brought us into life and brought us into light. So imagine that you're the first family. You're Adam and Eve. You're in the Garden of Eden, and things are great. I mean, there's no mother-in-law. They're, <laughs> they're born as adults. They never had to go through puberty. Have you thought about that? They were fully functioning adults, never gone through puberty. No sin has entered the world. Hanging out in the garden, having dominion over what God has created. God comes and fellowships them with them in the cool of the day. They have their firstborn son, Cain. Things are great. But something happened before their first son was born and they sinned, didn't they? Sin entered their hearts and their lives and sin entered the world. But still the hope for them is they started their family. And here comes their second boy, Abel. And they're raising their sons. And here comes death culture, doesn't it? And Cain kills Abel. I mean, that's the first family ever recorded in Scripture. And they weren't able to say, well, it was the Internet. It was the influence of the Internet. It was the influence of these violent video games. I mean, that was in the heart of Cain in the very first family, right? Killing babies, unfortunately, is not something that's new. We find Pharaoh being threatened by the Hebrews. He enslaves them. God continues to bless them. So he orders that all of the boys would be killed two and younger. Or not two and younger, excuse me. I'm getting that mixed up with the New Testament. When the babies are born, if they're a boy, they were to be killed. And the midwives were the ones that had to fulfill this. And there's two midwives that chose to honor life. They said, we're not going to allow the death culture to ultimately have bondage over us. But this is a government. This is a king. This is a pharaoh. This is the most in charge of the land that's saying all of the Hebrew boys have to be killed. But tonight, we're going to talk about how God brings us into life how he brings us out of this death culture. And it brings us to our text with John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Remember, she's just encountered Gabriel. She's responded to Gabriel saying, let it be according to your word. The Holy Spirit allows for her to conceive as a virgin Supernaturally, she's pregnant. She goes to visit Elizabeth, who's also pregnant in her old age as being barren, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So she comes in and greets Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she 
who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Life. When does it begin? Death culture says, well, life begins after birth. God culture says life begins at conception. And this is an amazing proof text to show it. Mary is very early in her pregnancy. And she comes to visit Elizabeth. And John the Baptist, who's still in the womb, six months old. So you see, John the Baptist is alive and Jesus is alive if you're honest to the text. Life begins at conception. That's, that's life culture. That's what the word of God teaches and declares. I want to dig deeper into God being the author of life and go back to the book of Genesis. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Genesis really unpacking why life matters. Our E4 students who are in the gap year program, guys, there'll be a little bit of repeat of Tuesday. So we're going through Genesis on Tuesdays and we went through Genesis chapter one. So guys, bear with me. Sorry, you got to hear some of this twice. If you're taking notes tonight, write down this. Why life matters, number one, life is who God is. Life is who God is. Verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do you notice about this in verse one? Is God was already in existence before the creation of the world. God in and of himself is life. God wasn't created. He's always been. In eternity past, in eternity future. What if God was created? Then whoever created God would be greater than God. So for God to be all-powerful, he has to not be created. He in and of himself is life and has the power to be able to create life. And, and when we think about God being life, it's that God is whole. In and of himself is he's whole. Another way to describe this is holiness, right? We kind of tend to want to stay away from holiness. I don't know why, because it simply means wholeness. I think we're really longing in our lives for, for wholeness. We, we want organic food. We want it to have, have substance. We, we want it to be whole. We want substance in our relationships. We, we want community. There, there's this desire for, for wholeness. And ultimately, that's found in God because he's life. Amen? Amen? So in the beginning was God, and God is life. Jesus, it's said of Jesus in the book of Hebrews that he was anointed with gladness above all of his fellows. What does that mean? He was the happiest guy on the planet, the most joyful guy on the planet. Why? Because he hated wickedness and he loved righteousness. Because of wholeness, he had joy. In 1 John, describing who God is, it speaks of God as being light that he is light and in him dwells no darkness at all. And if we're going to fellowship with God, we've got to fellowship with him in light. So, so Jesus in and of himself is life. God is life. In the beginning was God. And God created the heavens and the earth. So the second thing for us to write down is life is created by God. Life is created by God. Life is who God is, number one. And number two, life is created by God. 
This word created, it means that he's able to, to speak into existence, to take where there is nothing and create for there to be something. When it comes to expelling this death culture that we live in and this death mindset that we live in, we have to understand that God is the author of life, that he is the creator of life. So you don't own your life. I don't own my life because God created it. He designed it. He's the the author of it. Those around us, right? God is the one who created them. He loves them. He, he died for them. I think that you can point to most of the ills in our society, the ills in this death culture, going back to Genesis chapter 1. We've departed from Genesis chapter 1. If we get back to Genesis chapter 1 individually and as a culture, we enter into the life that God has for us. Life was created by God. The sanctity of human life, have you heard that phrase before? What does that mean? Sanctity of human life. Sanctity means something that's set apart. Set apart, that's, that's holy. So, so human life is set apart. Now, abortion is a sanctity of human life issue. Suicide is a sanctity of human life issue. Euthanasia is a sanctity of human life issue. Uh, let's take a look at Colorado for just a moment, all right? We have, unfortunately, one of the grossest abortion laws in the country where now abortion in Colorado is legal to the very moment of birth. And our legislation has said that kids in the womb have no legal rights. They're not recognized as a person, period right? That's a sanctity of human life issue. Right here in Colorado, if you're terminally ill, your doctor can write you a prescription for you to commit suicide. You fulfill it at the pharmacy, you take the medication at home, and that's the end of your life. And that's been a law here in Colorado for, for quite some time. That's a sanctity of human life issue. We have some of the highest suicide rates in the country right here in El Paso County. Definitely among teens, but all ages. That's a sanctity of human life issue. So for us to realize, okay, God has created life, so life is not for me to take in the womb. Life is not for me to take in a time of terminal illness. And I know that's difficult. My dad's got Parkinson's. His quality of life is, is challenging. He's, he's suffering. But God has a purpose even in the suffering, doesn't he? Suicide. I can't take my own life. It doesn't belong to me. But Satan's going to want to bombard us in these areas to try to take life. Because Satan comes to kill, to steal, and destroy but God comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. So part of coming out of this death culture is to acknowledge the truth in our own hearts and minds and say, okay, conception begins. Birth, life begins at conception. Life belongs to the Lord. Suicide's not an option. 
euthanasia is, is not an option. I'm going to love life because God loves life and he created life. So we're going to have some fun and we're going to read through the creation account. We're going to read through God speaking life and creating. Look at verse 2. The earth was without form and without void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light and it was good and God divided the light from darkness. Right here we have a picture of the gospel. The earth was full of darkness and empty and void, but the Spirit of God was hovering over this darkness. Can you look back at your life before you knew Christ as your Savior and see the Spirit of God hovering over your life? Absolutely. We also see the Trinity. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's hovering, the Father's speaking, then God said, and Jesus is doing. He is the Word. First John, or excuse me, John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. The Father was speaking it, and the Word was fulfilling it. And the Word is, is Jesus Christ. So three distinct persons, but one God creating the universe. And God speaks. And what's, what's the first thing that he creates? Let there be light. Is that a life statement? He's showing what he's all about in a physical form. He is light. Let there be light. And light and darkness was divided. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning was the first day. Everywhere in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, this word day is a 24-hour period. So good Bible interpretation says that this was a 24-hour period. As you read through this, God is emphasizing morning and evening, morning and evening. God created the universe in six literal days. When we talk about this issue of life, I believe it's really important to believe that God is the creator. Because it affects how you see God and it affects how you see life. Agreed? Amen? The Apostle Paul described the downward spiral of the human soul in Romans chapter 1. We studied it not too long ago as a church. And first, God reveals himself through creation and they rejected that knowledge that God is the creator and that started the downward spiral. When you look at the design of creation and reject that there is a designer, there's a darkness that begins in your soul. The psalm says, the fool in his heart has said that there is no God, this rejection of uh, the creator. So the first step in this path of life that God has for us is acknowledging that he is the creator, is acknowledging that he spoke all things into existence. I wonder how much trouble we've gotten ourselves into as a society because we've rejected that God's the creator. In verse six, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. For God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and so it was. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Separating, 
the heavens, dividing the firmament and, and the waters was the, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Separation of sea and land. And God is speaking these things into existence in his creative power. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit that yields, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to, notice this two words, its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and so it was. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Third day, grass, herbs, and fruit, a pretty great day. And in this understanding of life, and I believe that this ties into the death culture as well, is God made everything reproduce according to its kind. That, that's a major truth. We're going to see in just a moment, God does the same thing with animals. He creates the animals and they re reproduce according to its kind. What does this mean and how does it affect our worldview? Well, what it means is apples have more apples according to its kind. And it is an amazing when you look at an apple, it's got seeds to, to reproduce more apples. But apples don't produce oranges. Oranges produce oranges. And we carry this over to the animal kingdom. You can have Dogs mate, and you come up with a new breed of dog, but guess what? They're still a dog. They're still got four legs and a tail and pretty much useless. <laughs> just, just joking. They're, they're man's best friend, right? <laughs> but they're, they're still a dog, right? You can get a different breed of dog, a different size of dog, but they're still a dog. Well, how does this tie into life? This totally debunks evolution, doesn't it? Whenever you see something repeated in Scripture, you need to pay attention. And in this chapter, over and over, God says, according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind. Did your parents ever say a few phrases over and over again? Do you ever find yourself doing that as a parent? It's because it's important. And God is saying, this is important. If evolution were true, there would have to be transitional forms in the fossil record. So a dog transitions a little bit and transitions a little bit more and transitions a little bit more and then all these transitional forms and then now a dog is a man. That doesn't exist in the fossil record. It's according to its kind. And here we are. So much time passed from this creation account and life is continuing to reproduce according to its kind. If evolution is true, it's the survival of the fittest and it leads to death culture, doesn't it? If creation is true and everything reproduces according to its kind, God is the author of life and we respect life. So it's a really important truth. While we're on this topic of evolution, how about the age of the earth? Those that are into science try to date the earth, and the earth is this 
amount of time. So this points to evolution, they say. There's even those that are theistic evolutionists that, that God created the process of evolution. And, and these days that we're referring to are actually millions of years. Got a question for you. How old were Adam and Eve when they were created? Well, they were fully functioning adults, right? So moment number one, fully functioning adults. If you were going to come up and carbon date Adam, what do you think you'd come up with? He's on day one, and you're going to go, he looks like he's about 33 years old, right? So the world was created at full maturity, full maturity. So when you're looking at a date, how do you, how do you date that? It was in full maturity. So as I look at this account, it, it really points to obviously God being the creator and debunking evolution. And the next one is really mind-blowing that I think really throws evolution off in the next few verses. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let there be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth. And so it was. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth and to rule over the day, over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Read that so quickly, but God just spoke all the stars into existence. <laughs> we, we can't even begin to grasp how many galaxies there are and the amount of stars just in the Milky Way galaxy. With all of our telescopes, we have not come to the end of the universe. There's stars that God's created that no one's seen but himself. (laughs) He created the stars to pretty much say, I'm the man, and you're not, right? And he gives us the sun, and he gives us the moon, And this controls the seasons, the days, the years. We're experiencing it. We're starting to get less sunlight as we're headed into the fall, which affects our seasons. But how does this tie into debunking evolution? Well, what was created on day three? There was plants and herbs and fruit. What do plants and herbs and fruit need? Need sunlight. But the sun isn't created till the fourth day. You would think that God would have created the sun first because the plants are dependent upon the sun. But this really shows that it's not millions of years between day three and four. If God creates all the plants on day three and it's an evolutionary process that requires millions of years and millions of years go by before the sun comes, guess what? There's going to be no plants, right? So I think God did this specifically to show us this is not evolution. This is God creating. This is God speaking all things into existence. There's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that understand this a lot better. And I'm sure you probably know this, remember this from science class, but the sun is in the perfect spot, distance from the earth. And if it were just off a little bit, life would not be possible here on earth. But God put the sun in the exact spot so that life could exist here, here on earth. Now, 
I'm hoping that your mind's not just getting filled with facts, but your heart is starting to fall in love with life and fall in love with the creator of life. And you're like, man, God loves me. He is so good. And when you see the sunrise, you go, man, God has new mercies for me every single morning. He has steadfast love towards me. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of heaven. So God created great sea creatures. How many people like the sea creatures? Pretty cool. And every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. A lot on the fifth day, sea creatures, birds filled the sky, the insects. They estimate there's approximately 10 quadrillion individual insects alive today. There's insects all over this sanctuary, and we don't even know it, right? (laughs) All over these blue chairs. And God created it. He spoke it all into existence and and it was good. The focus of God creating Adam and Eve, chapter one gives us the broad view. Chapter two gives us the up close view. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Third thing about life, life bears the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. As God creates, and creation is magnificent, the chief of his creation is Adam and Eve, mankind. And we're in the image of God. Jesus taught on this, interestingly enough, when it came to taxes. I guess taxes have never been popular, especially during the Roman Empire. And the disciples are like, hey, do we got to pay taxes? Jesus says, show me a coin. Whose whose image is on this coin? And they say, Caesar. And he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And a lot of times that's where we stop. But he goes on and he says, give to God what is God's. Caesar's got his print on this coin. And you got to pay your taxes. But I've put my print on you. You're created in my image. And so since you're created in my image, surrender to me. So yeah, you've got to pay your taxes, but surrender to God because you're created in the image of God. Remember, we just learned God's a triune being. We saw the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Well, you're a triune being. 
You have your body, but you're not just a physical body. You also have a mind, but you're not just a body and a mind. You also have your soul and your spirit, your, your inner man. So you've got your inner man, you've got your mind, you've got your body, you're a trying being because you're created in the image of God. So this starts to give us purpose in life. As we're moving out of death culture into life culture, we understand we're created by God, we're created in his image. Part of this is then that we're created male and female. Once again, God in his infinite wisdom would know how we would contest scripture. It would seem obvious that God would not have to record that Adam and Eve are male and female. As you look at Adam and Eve, you go, okay, the anatomy is a little different. We got a male, we got a female, right? But the Lord knew that we would complicate this. So he wrote it down in his word that part of being created in his image is he created us male and he created us female. Now, why is gender being so attacked in August of 2020? Because if the enemy can eliminate gender, he's eliminated the image of God in society, right? So if men are not being men, women are not being women, the image of God gets perverted because God's created us male and female. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Ladies, be women to the glory of God. Men, be men to the glory of God. Well, where do you go to find that? You go to scripture. So what does it look like to be a godly woman? What is, what is womanhood? Start reading the scriptures, ladies, and pointing out all the amazing women in scripture. And, and the Lord is, is defining and showing for you what biblical womanhood looks like. For us men, looking through scripture and, and reading about the men in scripture and going, okay, this, this is teaching me what biblical manhood is. Not taking the world's definition, Right? We need to throw that out. We want God's definition. But as we think about life and the life that he gives to us and, and life matters is to step into that life. Now, please understand that there's some that struggle with this. There, there's some that are in this place of gender confusion and trying to sort it all out. And God wants to help you with that. God is your, your creator. He's the one that wants to come alongside of you. The Holy Spirit wants to come and, and show you and help you and teach you. But be open to, to his instruction and be open to how the Lord is, is coming alongside. We as the church of God have the truth of God. Agreed? So we don't want to be ashamed of his truth when it comes to these issues of life. We want to share the truth lovingly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in humility, absolutely. But don't be ashamed to come alongside of people and say, hey, you know what? Life matters. Your life matters. Don't, don't take your own life. You're thinking about abortion? I want to come alongside of you. I want to help you. Have you heard about the Pregnancy Resource Center? I want to be in, involved in your life. Don't be afraid of God's message on male and female as a Christian. You know God's not ashamed? He's not going, you know, I think I kind of messed up with the whole male-female thing. So for us to be able to say, look, there's freedom in the Lord and the truth of Scripture. I'm not going to be ashamed of the fact that God has created male and female. And nobody's really talking about this. 
And because nobody's talking about this, there's just more and more confusion, isn't there? So this is part of being created in the image of God, that God created us male and female. Let's go one step further. What represents Christ in the church? Marriage between a man and a woman. So if male and female is destroyed, you don't have gender and you don't have biblical marriage, you lose the image of God and you also lose the YouTube video of culture of Christ in the church. A Christian marriage, by God's grace, can be the gospel on display where you look at the husband and you can see the way Christ loves the church. You look at the wife and you can see the way the church loves and submits uh, to Christ. But there's one more part of life here, being an image bearer, is that God gives dominion over Adam and Eve to his creation. God assigns work to them before the fall. God is a creator. He's created us in his image and he's created us with the ability to work and produce, to be creative, to take dominion over his creation, to take leadership. So that's part of what God has given us to do. And it's part of what he has has wired us to do. And there's a fallen part of work. And sometimes we lose sight of the redeemed part of work is God does work, right? He created the world in in six days. And he created us to, to have dominion. So Take leadership, right? Take leadership in your home. And it's the simple things of like, man, my lawn is not going to mow itself. And yeah, there's weeds in it. But I got to take dominion over that stinking lawn. Like I got to take dominion over my garage. Second law of thermodynamics. It needs leadership, right? <laughs> my, my laundry needs dominion, right? The, the church of God needs servant leadership. It needs for us to be involved and, and to serve, You know, the public square needs leadership and Christian business and living out your faith at work and getting involved in serving our community in in different uh, capacities. Some being called to be political leaders and some called to be police officers and accountants and engineers and and doctors needs leadership. It it needs leadership in all of these different uh, sectors. So I grew up in Oregon. You guys hear it's the promised land? It's pretty nice out there. But they got huge trees out in Oregon. And do you know those trees actually need us to have dominion over them, not the other way around? And in the mid-90s, Bill Clinton decided he wanted to try to save the spotted owls so you couldn't log in the Northwest. And a lot of those forests became really overgrown. What happens when you just allow a forest and you don't manage it. You have wildfires. And it's terrible for the trees. If you love the trees, you might want to do some logging. They actually were created to be logged. They're a renewable resource. Do it responsibly. Don't go in and clear cut the whole mountain, but go in and take some, because if you don't take some, it's just going to be overgrown, and it's going to burn and put lives at risk. And we're seeing lives at risk. It's a renewable resource that needs to be managed. The forests aren't just to be left alone. They're to be managed. And so this shows us God's view of life and actually gives us purpose for life, doesn't it? Saying, man, God has created 
me for a purpose. He's created for me to have dominion. Well, I'm running out of time, so I got one more point. Let's look at verse 29. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning was the sixth day. Here's the last point about life, is life is redeemed at the cross. You're saying, Eric, how did you get that from those verses? Because we know chapter two and chapter three and Adam and Eve's sin. And this beautiful creation of God in the Garden of Eden, they choose to rebel against God and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sin entered the world. And life got polluted by sin. And Jesus went and died on the cross. And I believe the cross of Jesus Christ is God's exclamation point on life. Creation's the foundation. The exclamation point is the cross. As we look at coming out of a death culture into a life culture, we look at the cross. As we take communion tonight, we go, Jesus, you love me. You died for me. You didn't leave me in my sin. And you have purpose for my life. As I began tonight, I really believe that God wants to do a work as we close in prayer. And if you're in a death mindset, and it might be in a, in a suicidal mindset, is God wants to come and change your mindset of one of life, of one of life. We don't like to talk about it a lot in the church, but as believers, we can struggle with suicidal thoughts and feel all alone, and it can start to spin out of control and God knows that you're going through that and he loves you and he doesn't want you to take your life. And for the Holy Spirit to, to move in your life tonight to break free of that culture of death, understand it is absolutely demonic. It's demonic. It's from the enemy. He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. It may be just this sense of hopelessness as you look at what's going on in the world, you've become numb to a place of saying, man, I have hope for heaven, but I don't have any hope for this life, and God wants to give you life. I had a friend of mine challenge me with this thought a few months ago of just how much that we talk about death and joke around about death. You know, and if you start to think about how much just focus upon death is coming out of my mouth, God's saying, okay, Eric, why don't you start focusing on life? And why don't you start speaking about life? So much of our entertainment, what's it focused on? It's focused on, on death. And God wants to take us out of that place of death and put us to the, the place of life. And thankfully, our risen Savior is here to do it. Because remember, Christianity is a who, it's not a how. This is not us trying harder to try to get out of a death mindset. This is Jesus coming, invading in our lives, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the light of the world. I'm in your life. 
And I am here to take you out of this, this death mindset. You're in my light. You're in my life. Now walk in that light. And then we get to be crusaders of light. We get to be crusaders of life. We get to go out and share, hey, your life matters. Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you. So I'm going to ask you to respond tonight. And if you go, you know, I've been in a death mindset. I've been allowing this death culture to get a hold of me. I just ask that you raise your hand to the Lord and want to pray with you and just pray that God would, would meet you tonight. So let's pray. Father, we, we come before you. We thank you that you're the author of life and life does matter. And we do ask that you would do a work right now in our lives, that you would take us out of a death mindset and bring us into your mindset of life.